Africa. Post-Keldon traditional witchcraft. Professional witchcraft. The New Age. Pre-Keldon traditional witchcraft. So Chris, do you think that's about accurate? <laughs> that's a really long intro. It is a very, very long intro, but I like to think highly accurate intro. So today we're talking about magical traditions. Now, it's difficult because I know that I, my idea of what a magical tradition is is not actually the you know what a magical tradition is, and that I hold all magical traditions <laughs> to my high standards <laughs> and uh, definition of what a magical tradition is and isn't. Yes, even though that's wrong. So you tell us what is what is a magical tradition really? Because <laughs> we've named kind of a couple of magical traditions, and I don't mean like traditions as in oh you know we jump over a broomstick after we get married sort of traditions. Because grandma did that, and great grandma did that, and great 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 grandma did that. I mean in terms of like all of these, I think of them like training things yeah schools schools yeah it's it's about how you were taught isn't it is a tradition in a lot of ways so it's a um what methodology have you been taught your understanding what are your fundamental principles of understanding yeah it's a it's a way of practicing isn't it it tends to be in my mind when i think of traditions so you know um, with Wiccans, it would be a case of the the placing of where the candles are on an altar. All that parts are, you know, the the duality with the um, the feminine and the masculine divine. So you know, there's those are the underpinning kind of rule book, shall we say, to which in the methodology that they were taught, um, you know, that makes up what they actually do. I don't know. I don't know if we could technically call New Ages a tradition, um, even though that was in the intro. But you know, I, I get where you where you're going with that. That's I I disagree. I disagree. I mean, when I think of a magical tradition, is someone or a group of people passing their knowledge of a magical system down? And New Ages passed all this crystal wand dildo crap down, don't they? I suppose yes. But at the same time, I don't know if that does that actually count as a tradition, because you're not taught. Wait, is it? You're not taught. It's a shit tradition, the, but it's a tradition nonetheless. Argu, ar, you know, argumentedly, you could argue that it's not really a tradition unless it's initiation. If there is a, even if it's a self-initiation, you don't initiate as a new ager. It, you don't define 
yourself as a new ager you wouldn't say i went to the new age school of new age like you know what i mean like, but they do have new age schools though don't they they do have them well i don't Nowadays, think they actually I, have them i don't think yoga schools count no no they have proper new age diplomas and stuff like that and it says on it you've got a degree in reiki and new age philosophy and all that stuff this new age thing's really cottoned on i know you haven't been around for a while but the rest <laughs> of us have had to part up with this new age stuff for at least what almost a century now <laughs> i don't I, I don't know i i'd I would split hairs on whether or not I count it as a tradition. I think of it in terms of whether they count as a tradition. Because a lot of the traditions we've mentioned, I wouldn't consider to be actual magical traditions. Hey, um, super witch, Mr. Elitist. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, I mean, they are actually traditions, really, because there's someone yeah. that teaches someone else a set of practices and then those practices get given down the chain and passed on and on and on. Yeah. It's kind of like copy and paste, isn't it? <laughs> you can tell a good tradition because a good magical tradition adds things to it. As it, whereas it grows. Whereas a bird just, it grows, it actually grows, yeah. Um, yeah, then the next round of initiates, when they get to the, the the master standard, the third degree or whatever, when they're running the shit, sh I mean shell, <laughs> then um, they're pushing the boundaries, surely, and that would mean that they're more powerful and knowledgeable than the previous generation and so on and so yeah. forth. That's how I see it, magical a, a true, a But true, not all of them. A true tradition should be pushing within their traditions boundaries further they should be progressing it uh, it should be learning new things and applying those principles and developing it further whereas you know and some some would argue that that kind of is happening within the wiccan world wouldn't they because they'd say that the the branches are off are that development point aren't they um that the the newer the you know the next range of Wiccan products to come out, you know, Blue Wicker or whatever the latest one is. Um, you've got that kind of. Is there actually a Blue Wicker? Something like that. <laughs> Don't know if that's a thing. No, there's oh, it's something like. Are that. they colour coding things now? Aren't Maybe. They? Color coding I don't know. Um, you know me. I my kind of my eyes glaze over when it starts, so I, I can't really control myself when it comes to that bit. But the yeah, there were a kind of like new new versions of Wicker, like you know. You've got the kind of what they would call the old, older class traditions would be Gardenarian and Alexandrian split. But then there are newer versions that maybe they don't recognise, but they would count as separate. Well, I don't know that Alexandrians and Gardenarians would surely say that none of that is Wicca, because Wicca is just Alexandrian and Gardenarian. Yeah, exactly. So there is that kind of, yeah, and then it, I'm sure there is a, a branch off that's almost entirely in the feminine so that it's there is no and then you start to question at that point is is that still wicker if it's not got the duality um if you're not recognizing the other half and balancing out the equation um as what seems to happen in in wicker then is that still wicker has it then progressed too far to then be something else as opposed to being Wicca, yes, they can trade its traditional roots back to whoever they 
class as the beginning of this. It depends on who you argue with, doesn't it, really? But the, um, you know, does that then become its separate entity? Because, like, to me, although people see, uh, you know, to take a completely different religion and go Islam, uh, Christianity, Judaism, they are all Abrahamic religions. They can all be traced back to Abraham. It's so... Yeah. You get what I mean? Like, there's still distinct uh, religions on their own. And in some ways, you know, they would they would argue that, a, a, you know, a Christian is not a, a Muslim and a Muslim is not a Christian because they're not. They are different kind of sects. But at the same point, they're still all traceable back to Abraham. You know, one leads to the other that leads to the other. Is that essentially what the arguments so, in Wicca going on at the moment are? or whether or not they're true Wiccans or not. I think the main arguments, really, from what I can see, is that you've got uh, official Wiccans that can lineage. trace their initiated lineage back to Gerald Gardner, basically. Because um, if you can trace your lineage back to Alexandra's, if you're not Alexandrian, then you should be able to trace it back to Gardner. Yeah. So there are Wiccans, but it's those who are self-initiated, I don't think that they class. As official. As it, but... Okay, so let's ignore Wicca, because to me, I can see the argument really that what they don't like is, you know, if you've learned it from a book and you haven't been officially initiated by a proper Wiccan then you're not a Wiccan. But then there are proper Wiccans with lineage traditions that have written books about self-initiation. So I think yeah. that the cat's out of the bag there and that the whole thing, they just need to grow up really and just say, look, a couple of people made a mistake by releasing all of this stuff so that you could self-initiate. But what about initiation? Who initiated you, Chris, in witchcraft and such? <laughs> My unholy baptism. <laughs> yes, yes, your, your unholy <laughs> baptism. Was Sabrina there at the time? Yes. Or was that before her time? It was before Sabrina's time. I was there when, uh, you know, Zelda and Hilda were still nurslings. Oh, it was just you and Lilith, was it? <laughs> just me and Lilith. <laughs> having a party. Madam Satan. <laughs> <laughs> well, where do you think she got that nickname, eh? Um, sorry, I digress. The uh, What was the actual point of the question? <laughs> who initiated well, I me? Was I was never who, initiated. Who initiated you? Yeah, because witchcraft, people think of witchcraft because they think of all these traditions associated yeah. with witchcraft. And I think they think that witchcraft... Or you can only you have to come from one of the traditions of witchcraft to be a witch. And yeah, there are some that argue that, don't they? That. Yeah, I mean, in terms of are you because obviously the listeners knowing now, are you initiated into any traditions currently? No, and nor have I. What about in been... previous lives? <laughs> Well, that's that's different because that I wouldn't call an, is, an essentially initiation. When you're talking about they're proper traditions, aren't they? When you're talking, they're talking about <laughs> priesthoods and and yeah. priestesshoods. Those are very different to what I would call a, which is probably where you'd get fussy about the actual term, you know, magical tradition. You are talking about yeah. proper word, the the true use of the word cult. Um, kind of you know the pre 
death cult situations in the 70s, that sort of thing. The kind of traditional use of the word cult is what you probably associate with magical tradition, is these kind of proper systems where there are defined rules within that magical system and you work that to its fullest potential. So yeah, um, those ones don't count, I don't think, in what we're actually talking about. I think the priesthoods so with the, <laughs> Yeah, with, with the magical traditions nowadays, I suppose, some are religious in nature, because, I mean, most religions have some form of magical practice in there. So yeah. I don't think you'd probably class those as magical traditions. I think you're probably thinking traditions of magic, so magical systems, maybe. Yeah, more, I think that's I think it's a more appropriate way to... It's... um how the cosmos is organized within your particular tra tradition isn't it and how you interact with it yeah so what makes a good magical tradition or magical system then i guess the, the things we were talking about before the ones that grow the ones that push boundaries um i understand to a certain extent you know there is a there is a certain necessity to a, a certain level of gatekeeping within it i think that's necessary um which i know is a really dangerous thing for me to say um however but yeah i think a big part of it is progression it's got to be what's the point of practicing if there is no next level like you know what i mean like a a new a new frontier for you to push i don't understand why anybody would be part of a magical tradition that just does the same the same shit every day or you know just follows the uh the wheel of the year or whatever i, I don't quite get unless there is some kind of pushing that is going on at these uh pinnacle points of the year um, if that's how your particular tradition is organised, but um, I'm just using generalised terms because you can't. Are you trying to explain something that's not universal in a universal way, aren't we? So, if we, you know, for a, a moment suggested all of the all all traditions followed that mode modus operandi, that you then, what are you doing at those pinnacle points of power? If all you're doing is observe them every time. Is that actually pushing a magical practice or is that just irreverence? Is it you're just uh, may as well be an astronomer, you know, like you're just watching the movement of time. What what are you doing to explore it, explore the cosmos and that sort of thing? Am I going off on one or is that what you were thinking? I don't think so. I think that we both have um idealistic views of magical tradition because we think of them as magical systems that people are supposed to continuously try to perfect yeah and i don't think that most of them are really are they it's really a case of here's a bunch of stuff that we do i'm gonna show you how to do that stuff and now you know it you should then go and take that and teach someone else throughout the yeah. generations it's... And I think that the the initiation process within traditions, because neither of us are initiated into any traditions, no. but we work with clients who are 
initiated into, into traditions and they yeah. often may come to us with problems and obviously they're maybe oath-banged for certain information. It doesn't really cause much fuss for us because we just download the information that we need, that we need in order to, to give them the answer. Specific, yeah. Yeah, their specific case. So we try to be... Um, uh understanding and you know we try to be careful not to talk about their specific personal um experience and as and their stuff that they would consider to be oath-banged within the tradition but i mean most of them are fairly transparent a lot of the protections in place for these traditions so let's talk a little bit about graduation from a tradition or going through the initiation rites of a tradition and maybe comparing that to to priest and priestesshood from ancient times because i think they've a lot of them kind of follow this uh westernized school approach of you know you split things into years yeah and there's if you're in reception or year one you learn how to count you learn yeah. what your numbers and your letters like this are and then you go on and so on and so forth one initiation builds on another, which builds on another, which builds on another. Whereas there are some which is just a case of you're either in or you're out. Yeah. There's one initiation. Yeah. So how do you think all of these, what do you think the best approach is for your standard tradition? If someone wanted to create one from scratch tomorrow, one of our listeners, and they wanted to create a magical tradition that was designed to help those who enroll on it push the understanding become more knowledgeable and powerful what do you think the ideal simple structure of that tradition would be from an initiation perspective are you one of these that think well you need 90 degrees and you work from one to the other and each one takes a year and a day and all that kind of stuff you know or what? <laughs> you know i'd hate that approach because i tend to teach with mentoring at a very organic method methodology i don't do curriculum um mine is done through a series of tests you pass the test in order to actually know where you um where to prioritize should we say um and then it go you know it's a series of go do this then go do that <laughs> oh, okay you've mastered that okay now push it to that um and in that process there is no uh, no curriculum it is built around their personal progression so i suppose for me it would be kind of <laughs> to not go all darth more than sith lord on you but essentially master apprentice i think that kind of um so many hours put in as opposed to necessarily um you know a proper master craftsman arrangement where you're just perfecting a a skill set and actually the the master in that situation should be able to mould around where you are in your personal progression as opposed to going, okay, well, you learn all these correspondences first, then we're going to do some basic love magic and, and then we're going to try and do some shadow work. And, you know, I'm just pulling things out of a hat here, but you know what I mean? Like the, I don't, I don't see from a, a magical point of view why you would teach because um you're not getting them as nurslings are you you're not getting them as they're learning to read and write so a person arrives to you with a version of the world 
already re realized within their head so to actually then go yeah. you're not you're not picking them up from okay well they've just finished learning how to wipe the bum so now we're going to start with uh you know correspondences of ca of uh of color candles like you know what i mean like you're going to go well where are you in your cosmos right now what does your cosmos look like okay from your understanding i'm now going to get you to push down that direction because you've got a natural affinity to that clearly in the way that you see um my question is how does somebody from a particular tradition take that approach so is it a case of actually when you're getting to second and third year where you're starting to teach others are you actually looking at practices outside of your tradition in order to have a rounded experience of what magic looks like from alternatives or is that a unique part of the sorts of things that people like us do where we've um you know had that apprenticeship kind of approach a project um process of how it was traditionally done you know you would uh, be an apprentice under you know mother shipton and she would teach you everything she knew um if you felt that was left lacking you'd then go and apprentice under somebody else in order to learn that system like where are we kind of teetering off from the the accepted model i guess well in terms of the conversation we can go where you want to go i i think that what you said about uh the old mother shipton thing that's the approach we take yeah. uh, not to say sif approach but we take the approach of well we're gonna help you on your journey based on the system that you already have because like you kind of said everyone already has their system they're all they're either raised in a religion or they're raised as an atheist or they're raised in some sort of they've all got some sort of idea of how the universe works yeah. so we just take what their concept of how that works is and then expand that and you know there can be pretty uh painful points where their entire paradigm shatters and they have to rebuild it um but it is what it is i think that's the best way the problem with traditions a lot of the time i think certainly within paganism is a case of we're going to tell you how the world works this is your pantheon of spirits this is what happens after you die there's the kind of religious thing because it is paganism yeah. at the end of the day yeah so it it's, it's religious thing. and therefore Whereas it has fixed other things other, other things like um the hermetic order of the golden dawn is probably a, a good example of that because yeah, that's yeah. not really that's a magical tradition and there's degrees within that and initiation rites within that but it's fairly loose it's more the science behind magic i suppose is what they yeah. were kind of going for hermeticism um yeah exactly hermetics um the, the principles of magic and that's ignore all of the rest because they just fit in with these principles sort of thing whereas i certainly find within paganism which is a lot of where witches kind of go to is more religious kind of based even if it's not a religion yeah no. there's a pantheon of spirits that would have probably been worked with in some form of religious you know. yeah 
And I think that uh, the... so how? No, go on. How do how do you think they compare then between the modern ones and the ones that you've experienced in the past? What is the difference between a um, priest or priestesshood or a cult from ancient times compared to a lot of these modern traditions? Is it the purpose of why the tradition was created in the first place? Or is it just the the structure that they take? Where where do you think the real differences are that stick out? I think the the biggest dis- difference, and I think I think that's where most people will probably struggle with what I'm about to say, is um is the fact that it was a lot more specialized. So you wouldn't necessarily you know just because you're a Greek, for example, wouldn't mean that you work with the entire of the the Greek pantheon so this idea of working with an in, in a pantheon in its entirety um is quite alien because as as a city yes between you all you'll have worked with the entire pantheon because it was part of your day to day like you know you would go and honor uh, a certain deity for luck or or for safe travel or or those sorts of things where you're petitioning um but that's not witchcraft. That would be devotionist petitioning. So the closest you're getting then to actual witchcraft would be what goes on behind temple doors, in which case you're devoted to one goddess. Or if you look at maybe a pair, if there's a, a, a deity, you know, a, a pair of deities that are worshipped together in those sorts of situations. So, you know, your entire world would be working for Apollo at the Pythia like you wouldn't then go and have a day where you go and spend it at the um uh the Aphrodite temple down the road uh, you would be a, a devotee and a cult member a priest or priestess or one of that congregation um that specifically spends their entire life honoring one deity like I say, maybe a holy union if you're in a particular situation um, where you might have Athena, um, Athena Nike or whatever, where she, Nike's honoured at the same time because she's a victorious Athena. And therefore you would actually honour both deities. But it, it's your main priority would be Athena. But there is an aspect of honouring Nike at the same time. Does that make sense? So. Yeah. So that that would be the biggest difference is your cult process would be designed to do that. Or if you were to look at, I suppose, the other option would be the uh, Elysian Mysteries, where you're you're honouring a divine union in that, I, I suppose, is the opposite kind of version of that, which is rather than a combined unity of um, Athena with Nike would be you kind of, you know, the embrace of a particular deity through a sexual means, so slightly more um, kind of Diana, um, Bacchus being born, that kind of thing, where you've got, um, you know, with the equivalence over with Isis and Cyrus and the cult that would be about bringing forth of Horus, like, you know, that union part of it, which is actually you're honouring them as a family, is probably the closest you would get to in an initiatory right um, exploration of that as a cult 
it would just be that union. You wouldn't be considering all the gods in that particular pantheon because they wouldn't be approached in necessarily that way. You know, cities had um, one deity in most cases that they were entirely devoted to. It didn't mean they didn't have little interactions with other other deities, but their core deity was always a principal deity. And I think um, when you compare that to kind of modern paganism, where you kind of, oh, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm dabbling with um, I'm dabbling with Apollo this week and then next week I'm going to Apollo. I'm, you know, I, I need to do some um, hexing, like not they would, but, you know, I need to do some hexing. So let's have a chat with Persephone. Like all of a sudden you're jumping it, you know, from a Greek point of view in that situation, you are jumping from one part of the Greek city states to another Greek city state where that deity lives and belongs. Like, so that kind of whole understanding of bringing the deity to you is completely different because actually the process in itself is designed so that you make a house you know a temple a temple is a house for the god and you make it so good that they want to stay there um and that's how you honor that you know is by creating that home for the deity and hoping that they stay there for as long as possible by bribery more than anything um so that relationship is completely different with with the devotee and the um and the deity and i've completely rambled and i don't know if i've answered the question you asked me but well we're actually about to go over time so we'll join the rest of the people on the patreon i think you basically just said that it's different because with recreationalist types you're just basically initiating into a pantheon as opposed to actually learning a job role yeah so there we go we're on the patreon now so okay so so now we are on the patreon you can answer this question right okay when someone comes up to you in a in a psychic fair or you get a new client or whatever and they say you know i i've done some research i've initiated into such and such are there any that stick out as really making your blood curdle or giving you that kind of retching feeling as soon as they say the word? <laughs> so if someone comes up to you and says, I understand magic, I'm a third degree initiate of, insert word here. Is there any of them that pop out and make you think, oh God, here we go? Okay, I suppose there's a little part of that with any kind of Wiccan group. But that's more a case of I'm never quite sure entirely what their understanding of Wicca is. So I kind of the first feel uh, you get is kind of going, oh, OK, so is this a book read Wiccan or is this a, a, an initiated Wiccan or where are they actually coming from with with what they're doing? Um and I actually can't remember the the last time I had any Wiccan that came up to me and actually announced um, what degree they were, mainly because I'd probably spit my coffee out at them in the moment because I wouldn't feel like that was an appropriate way to announce yourself. If you're saying that, you know, gatekeeping for, you know, and all that kind of shit, 
the, the fact that they said they were Wiccan is probably a step a step far enough from that point of view. Why? Who who are you trying to get me to say? I'm not trying to get you to say anything. I'm just wondering, because obviously I do have that kind of repulsion towards certain words and certain phrases. And I, I am biased. Not biased in the sense that I'll refuse to help them. But in terms of the initial, oh, I feel like I've just gone a bit queasy there because you've said that word. Like, for example, if someone said, oh, I am um, a high priest of the Alexandrian tradition, my stomach will go a bit. It will turn over a little bit. Okay. I think, oh, for fuck's sake, here we go. Whereas if someone says, you know, what sort of system of magic are you, are you practicing, that kind of thing? Oh, well, I come from a line of uh, Cochranite line, say, for example, because we know a couple of Cochranite yeah. style witches now. Um, it would make me feel a little less initially repulsed. Okay. That's just because it's the fact that I know other people there, and it is a bias, that I respect so yeah. I think the respect then gets transferred to a certain extent over to the new person because yeah. I think oh well I don't have much problem with this bunch I don't ever have to bail them out of that dodgy situation therefore you're probably more like them whereas with the Wiccans they're always getting into trouble oh, okay and the new ager is even more so so it's always a kind of and it's a bias I admit yeah. it is a bias I can't help no. it you know mine tends to be when they mention certain deities so ah, okay mine i think my 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 gag reflex occurs at that point where it's a case of oh okay you you've just mentioned bridget come on um tell me how you know bridget like you know when you, you just have certain when you it's i suppose it's situational so it's when depending on where you were so if i think if i was at a moot or something like that, or a, a gathering where I was expecting to meet other witches, I'd be less gagged. But if if you're at like a psychic fair or uh, those sorts of events, and you get somebody that's just you know spent the entire day um, reading angel cards, and then comes over and talks to you about a deity, you then I, like I, I think those moments are where it happens for me. The only exception I will say when it comes to magical systems would be the uh, the um, the goetics. As soon as someone starts to talk to me about, they spend all their time with the goetics. I'm kind of like, oh okay. Um, and then you look them up or down a little bit because you're kind of like, okay, you've got to match up what they just said with go out more. with how they're dressed um, and yeah. see, you know, um, are their nails black, etc. That sort of thing. Is, is there a major golf Heavy metal filed? t-shirt. Yeah. So kind of, there's that kind of balance Smell there. Smell of BO. <laughs> hey, don't get personal. Um, <laughs> but you just kind of, there is that kind of aspect of, in that, that moment, you've got that, um, what they've said matching up with what they look, you know, but I don't mean like physically look like, I mean, their energetic makeup. And you kind of go, oh, okay, that explains a few things. Um, when you're kind of like, okay, that's why you're kind of dead behind the eyes. They've drained you off. Or like, you know, um, or like I say, you get a really love and light person that comes out with, oh, I work with Bridget. And you're kind of like, how do you now? 
um, do you mean Saint Bridget? Is that who you've been working with? Um, because uh, I don't remember any Forge maiden that would uh, put up with the sort of shit you've just been giving out to those people. Um, so I think it's more that kind of stuff of, you know, uh, like I'm a bit wary when somebody says they work with Santa Muerte, you know, and you're just kind of like, oh, OK, work with or work for? Like, you know what I mean? Like there is that. <laughs> Do you get what I mean? There's like oh. there are trigger. <laughs> there are triggers that then occur after somebody says somebody's name, um, you know. Well, I have to agree, actually, that when you t when you take some of the most inept, they always seem to track out the same names. What names yeah. would they be? Ecarte is one. Yeah. Bridget's another. Um, yeah. Oh, it's a difficult one. There's, there is quite a few, which as soon as they say that name, I think, oh, where we go. <laughs> yeah, Diana or Artemis is another one. Uh, Rhiannon, that's the other one. Any of the kind of Celtics these days seem to be um, because you kind of get these amalgamations where they've been absorbed into these triple goddess pro situations so it's anybody that you could consider to be a triple goddess so like you know Bridget, Hecate all those kind of ones um, all the ones the, ne the neo-pagans have adopted basically is that what you're saying? To a certain extent yeah where they've they've got this very <laughs> very one-track-minded version of what these, you know, bearing in mind they're called triple goddesses for a, for a reason, um, and yet they still give them this kind of one-note gloss, which always kind of sets my teeth on edge. Um, but yeah, yeah but for a lot, triple goddess just means mother, maiden and crone, doesn't they? Yeah, the for them. For them, they mean, yeah, they mean a progression of one particular life cycle, don't they? Whereas actually, that's not what most of these are. Um, there was one. There was one that proper set me off um, when she said that she works with Carly, and obviously specifically Carly Ma. Ah. And it was a case Carly, of Carly, my cousin Carly, <laughs> oh, Carly Ma. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you just kind of like, and at that point, I was kind of like, okay. You've piqued my interest now. Please explain to me how you work with them. Um, and then at that point, you know, you get it. But it's not it's not a name that would um, I would feel dread, like when someone says Santa Muerte, you know, that kind of like, oh, fuck, what have they been teaching you? Um, whereas you don't you don't I don't get that with Carly and you kind of expect that. Um, there's a few that you kind of expect to hear. And I never hear. So, you know, there are very few people ever tell me they work with Demeter, for example, mm. or, or Hera. You kind of like you get all these people that all they do with readings about love. You'd think they'd have a relationship with someone like Aphrodite or. Um, and I sometimes wonder, maybe these deities aren't interested in them. <laughs> Therefore, they never come up. And I'm wondering if that's why. If if you've got particularly with the Greeks, if you've got a Greek book of um, mythology, the gods and goddesses with the longest chapters are the ones which all the neo pagans work with. Yeah. 
that's the thing. You don't find a lot of obscure ones, to be honest with you, which is very counter to what we experience from clients. Because yeah. with our clients, it's generally a case of such and such has come up. Do you know what this is? It's saying that this name and you're kind of like, mm, that seems a little bit strange. It sounds somewhat like it should be from this region, this culture, this yeah. place. And then you look it up and it is some obscure yeah. kind of... Um, At which point you like... Slightly bastardised name of something yeah. that's even more, you know, just as obscure. Yeah, you know? where you literally kind of go, oh, okay, you've actually picked something up somewhere. Yeah. Um, how have you managed to come across that deity? Like, yeah, I, I just, I, I suppose that... And that if it wasn't for the the fact that we come across those kind of people i think i would probably have given up already um because you know there's only so many times you can have the conversation about hikate um you know what i mean like it's it's one of those where you just okay um the other one is you never tend to although i suppose we don't work with enough kind of sea witches and stuff you don't I haven't come across with clients any of the big three, so very rarely do they mention uh, for the for the Greek system. It's, you, I've never never come across people that work with Poseidon, Zeus, or um, or Hades. Like you don't they normally the male work deities, with the yeah, though, don't they? yeah, generally. But I mean, when you look at bit Wicca, that. It, often does seem to have because a lot of the neo-pagan stuff is wiccan or a lot of people that are even when they go into traditional craft then they um they still hold they on to those come from yeah they start they experience wicca first even if it's just for a week or something so that does yeah. make the difference and i do see that it is a case of that divine pairing they look it through they see oh this goddess I need to find a mate for her. I need to find yeah. a husband. And then you get like some of these ones that come up with the most weird combinations of gods yeah. and goddesses because Ex they need to have every goddess needs to have a god. You see. Yeah, and when so then they come up and match it with something. <laughs> and when they cross over, when they cross over pantheons, that's the ones. Those are the ones that set me off. So the ones when they'll go, and I know, you know, for, to a certain extent, for all intensive purposes, you've got that kind of classical group. So the Romans, you know, Roman Greek crossovers. But you are, you know, they yeah. seem to forget they are distinctly separate pantheons. Um, and you've got like a, a mix of a, Apollo with with uh, with Venus or something. And you just kind of like, OK, one, those two would never get in the sack. Like, it's it's just not going to yeah. happen. Um and two, they're from different family lines, like completely, um, you know, I just, yeah. And the biggest ones that set me off are obviously people like Seth Met, aren't they? Um, when they start attaching themselves to the Egyptians. Um, yeah, well, again, that's from far but that's away more new age. a amount of time ago, so... Yeah, I think the problem is is that the culture is really still not understood by most people that seem to try and work with the Egyptian system. I mean, it's one thing to be in the UK and start trying to understand Celtic stuff because you can map it to the landscape. Yeah. If you're smart enough, you can work with that and it will fill in the blanks for you if you, as so long as you actually do proper work with it. Yeah. However, with things that you're trying to pick out some random thing that you don't fully understand, never experienced the culture and aren't even there, 
is another thing all in entirely, isn't it? Yeah. But then didn't you have someone that was trying to work with some sort of alien thing from the Pleiades or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did have I did have one client that was convinced the Norse deities come from the Pleiades, um, and that the Norse deities were all alien. So yes, we have I've had a few of those unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it I, I it really depends. I suppose the Egyptians get me more on it and more on edge than others, um, mainly because they tend to be with the people that are kind of new age practices. So it's always kind of he, yeah. it's always kind of healing led, and they try and match up something like, oh, well, I won't start that rant again. But the um, the the Seth Met healing process, and I'm like, okay. Well, most people try and put a Band-Aid on something. Most, most people don't try and pull molten lava on somebody. Like, you know, that's kind of the difference that I see there. Um, yeah, an, an Egyptologist translates some hieroglyphics, which tells a story, and there might be a slight healing aspect of that story. <laughs> yeah. They're then written in a book of mythology, and then someone reads that and thinks, I know what we'll call, we'll call upon that, because that's all to do with healing. Yeah. Because it's in my book of get set Egyptian mythology. Yeah, or they yeah, or they see the word mother goddess, and they automatically jump to, oh, that must be nurturing and loving, and you just, <laughs> you know what I mean? And just kind of like not that suggesting that all mums are the same. Um, and as a lot of these pagans co- often come, uh, witches come from uh, broken homes, they're clearly not the all nurturing um, stereotype in that situation some parents some parents eat their children exactly (laughs) exactly so you know like i suppose those are sorts of parts that kind of set my teeth on edge as opposed to um what we would you know more than what tradition they're from because the tradition to a certain extent doesn't tell me much other than how their worldview may appear or in what way they tend to cast. Like, I, I don't think it's necessarily going to tell me if I'm... It's a stereotype. Yeah. It's a stereotype. If, if, if you work with the four or five elements, if you work with the elements, cast a circle, and are wearing a pentagram, I'm going to call you a Wiccan. Yeah. I don't care whether you call yourself a Wiccan, I don't care if you're initiated into Wiccan or what, I'm going to call you a Wiccan because that's the stereotype. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's I think that's that, you know, and if you've got little little beads in your beard and, um, you know, grow, decided to grow your grow your hair and and you walk around with a stick that you carved runes into, um, I'm going to assume that you're some kind of uh, uh, Norse recreationalist um, slash. And unless you've got an iPad, in which case you're obviously a, a druid, person. obviously druids got to be. Because they, they do love their iPads, especially their text-to-speak function. Because <laughs> I know that nowadays, nowadays with the way that the world is, there's just no one has any time on their hands. So rather than memorise your lines, you just bring your iPad and use the text-to-speak function. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm laughing because it's true. Uh, it's really hard not to laugh. Um, but yeah it's 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 one of it's one of those arrangements where it's only going to tell us so much isn't it 
what's going to tell us more is how they work with energy, what they're asking us to do or asking us to understand and teach them. Uh, most of them is going to be because they've done something they shouldn't have done and they've got themselves into some kind of trouble. Um, you know, a bad attachment or a, or a, an oath they okay. forgot they signed. So, so we have talked a bit about magical traditions at some point in this magical traditions podcast. <laughs> and most of them have been the modern neo pagans, and maybe talking a little bit about ancient stuff. What about the magical traditions that you don't necessarily initiate into technically by taking a vow? Instead, you're forced into or pulled into against your will. Okay. So, is it in tradition say if you had a the going to the whole witch blood thing if you had a family tradition that you're either being forced to follow oh, okay you're meaning more or ancestral or the yeah ancestral stuff so you talked a bit about like um where you alluded to that breaking contracts and stuff like that what about things that you're essentially already in unless you opt out <laughs> yeah <laughs> like a Faustian pack we'll assume you're in unless you tell us in writing by yeah x amount of time <laughs> <laughs> yeah the um because that you only really see in traditional witchcraft i think yeah with... like traditional traditional witchcraft old-fashioned witchcraft from a couple of hundred years ago yeah or that and not this modern 20th to 21st century stuff with the exception of maybe some of the Christian stuff, the, the cult-led stuff, where they've taken vows of silence or vows of celibacy and then they can't find lovers or um, they can't make any upward progression because nobody hears what they say. Those sorts of things where they're kind of innately woven into them as people. Um, mm. Those ones are always interesting. I quite like those clients. Um, but yeah, when you've got kind of you know, I pledged myself to um, to Diana, <laughs> you know, uh, three, four centuries ago, and then I'm still tied to her because I forgot to opt out. Um, or like you say, a lot of these, um, I went to say Tradwich then, but not really. Um, these kind of modern family lineages, I'm trying not to use the G word, um, where they've made certain deals in the past for uh, better looks or or whatever um and they're tied into uh, family bloodlines those ones can be quite interesting yeah so some some people where they do a lot of blood sorcery and alter the blood but of course if you have a child that child is comprised of your flesh and, and your to... other half flesh yeah so that's going to carry on there's going to be something in there that gets passed on and to a certain extent you could say going by um a quantum entanglement theory <laughs> if you've got someone else that shares your blood whether it's a, a child and you're starting to do something like that now even though you had the child a long time ago several years ago there can still sometimes be a knock-on effect yeah if the blood is still there, blood. the link is still there for things to crawl through. Blood to blood. Well, what's that yeah. other? What's that other one you like? Bloody's lives. 
Blood is Lives. That's it. I like that one. That was from the Dracula podcast. Yeah, Blood is Lives. Um, yeah, there, there are lots. Of, there are lots of ways those sorts of things occur. Um, and they aren't necessarily modern tradition led, are they? I think there's less of that about, but then I suppose there hasn't been enough generations of them because they're still ridiculously new. Well, I mean, some traditions will evolve out of necessity. So there are some things where there are traditions that I'm aware of, of people that really you'd probably actually call it a curse. Yeah. But actually the tradition is, how do we deal with this problem in our family? Yeah. Well, this is going to happen to you when you get to this age, so you need to do this, this and this. And it becomes a tradition, but actually that tradition has evolved from trying to tackle a, a not particularly nice situation. I think of like, um, oh, what was it? We talked about chilling Sabrinas, didn't we? You've got the, yeah. uh, the cunning girl that, that they call the cunning because she sees things and then she goes blind and all that sort of stuff. Yep. It's like things that get triggered and then traditions form around them and they're really just coping mechanisms <laughs> that someone's, yeah. someone started um, and that they've never really managed to fix the problem and it evolves and evolves and evolves into like a full-on magical tradition and stuff. That's, that can be quite mm -hmm. strange. It generally takes a fair amount of time and it generally stems from um, a lack of knowledge mm -hmm. and people just trying to do the best they can to cope with things. But we've got like about 10 minutes, just under 10 minutes left. Is there anything else you want to talk about in regards to magical traditions? The House of Black, I think, was the reference from Harry Potter, wasn't it? Yeah, like I, I suppose the Harry Potter reference kind of refers more so to blood purity, which I think is, a, is the opposite end of that spectrum, isn't it? Where actually, um, you know, where you've got with aristocracy, etc., where they don't want to water down the bloodline. And that in itself is its own type of, of magical tradition of, um, you know, how that extension works and how it will manipulate those sorts of pairings that aren't necessarily just... Because, you, you know, I'm using aristocracy, but you could quite equally say the same with the caste system in, in India or in countries like that in, in the southeast. Um where there is this kind of pairing of suitors, uh, thinking Romeo and Juliet, kind of this um, forbid forbidden packs and what those can kind of have the impact on and the kind of breeding, <laughs> these kind of designed breedings. Um, yeah. And I think some people don't consider the magical aspect of that so if you've got two, you know, two families that were devoted to a different deities, when those bloodlines then met, there would be a certain distinct energy about those two with whatever children they had. Um, and what that then does to the blood as, as the next mixing and the next pairing. So I suppose from a, a blood purity sense. Um, but you know how I feel about blood magic. It's not really something that. I don't think I don't spend too much time worrying about it. So, OK, so when traditions die, then eventually, because mm. a lot of traditions die, whether they're magical or non-magical, do you feel a sense of, of sadness for that? 
or do you just not really care? Because I've never really been one that, you know, you see people that say, well, I'm the last of this line or I'm the last of that line or these people, I don't really do that anymore. We don't do that anymore. You hear about tribes and that dying out that live in the jungle and stuff because they've been given houses and technology and stuff. Does it? Does a bit of you think, well, that's a that's a shame, or are you like me and you just don't care? <laughs> um, I suppose there's a mixture. I I suppose for me, I don't con I don't concern myself about it, in the sense that the only traditions that would have been passed down in in my uh, soul line, should we say, as opposed to bloodline, um, they're there for me to rediscover if I needed to. So you either tap back up mm. your line yourself um, or they're, you know, locked in pictures inside tombs. Like, you know, like they ha they never died to begin with. They may have gone dormant, yeah. but they were never dead. Um, so the question is... Well, these sorts not... of magical traditions are, are proper ones that work on more than just the mundane physical level. So you, yeah. it's difficult to stop that tradition. But I know when you said about the museum that you was working with, that that would obviously possibly come to an end and that, and it, you know, that was kind of sad to us to a certain extent. But I look at a lot of traditions and I think there's a lot of complaints, certainly women, traditional witchcraft is that, oh, well, I haven't got anyone to pass this on to because no one's willing to put the work in or there's yeah. no one that I can pass this on to. And I don't think that that I don't ever feel sad about that. I mean, traditions die out because no one wants to adopt them or they yeah. do no longer have a purpose. They stop being productive or they stop moving forward or it, it reaches it, its natural conclusion. Is that the best way to put it? Um, yeah. Of where it, it was never going to progress any further. So, of course, there's no new blood for it. But equally, I'm kind of like, if, if you're ever in that position where you worry about something like that, then just store it. Like, surely that's the answer. You spend your remaining few years of how you'll bottle this for someone to discover later on. If it's ever useful again. You know, there's so yeah, much stored the out there. Of doing that. One could say that Gerald Gardner tried to do that. I mean, he did a terrible job at it if he did try and do it. But I mean, there's a difference between can you, do you know how to store a tradition properly? Or are you just going to write a book and yeah. pour it down? <laughs> And hope, hope that someone the, fills in the blanks. Yeah. yeah, which is a terrible way. Don't ever write a book. If you've got a magical tradition, never, ever, and you want to pass it on, never, ever write a book about it. Just don't <laughs> do it. Come up with another way yeah. that just unlocks, sucks the person in. Jumanji. <laughs> Jumanji, yeah. We'll have to do a podcast on Jumanji. I'm going to have to do one. Yeah, definitely. But there we go. I think that is it. We've got about a minute left. Is there anything else you want to say? Because now's the time to say it. <laughs> no, no. I think I think we could go off on ridiculous, more ridiculous tangent uh, tangents. But I don't. I think that's a nice place to end it. Really, is think about where would you, or how would you, pass on in that kind of situation, or would you like us not worry about it? Yeah, I I do think that actually I have no idea what we actually talked about for the past hour. And I do hope 
I'm going to have to listen to this back. I hope that has something to do with traditions, or we might have to rename it. But anyway, thanks for supporting us on the Patreon. And of course, if you ever have an idea for a podcast episode, whether it be on a topic that you want us to cover or what, then let us know. And there we go.